The Baptists, they always get nervous. It's really, it's really funny. One of the things that I love most about our church is, is being a non-denominational church. Is you got a you got a good mix. You got you got some Baptists. You got some Pentecostals. So it's cool. So we you know we sing about dancing and the Baptists get nervous. But then you know when we talk about alcohol, it's okay because the Baptists can cheer and it's okay. Like they don't have to worry about who's watching. So it's it's all good. It's all good. So uh, my name is Bobby. I'm uh, I'm the lead pastor here at the Ridge Church. So glad that you guys are here today on Easter Sunday. It's good to be here, right? Yeah, good reason to uh, good reason to cheer, good reason to uh, to get excited and dance if you want to dance. We're we're not going to throw you out. It's all it's all good. It's all good. So uh, we, you guys just saw this video. This video is uh, actually it it really looks like uh, you know something straight out of you know a trailer for Lord of the Rings or something. But believe it or not, it comes comes straight from Scripture. It comes right out of the Bible. And so for anybody that's like, man, the Bible's just boring. It ain't got anything good in it. It's just like a bunch of old stuff. And that's, that's good stuff. That's, that's really interesting stuff. And maybe, I don't know if, you, if you're into that kind of thing. I, I'm into that kind of thing, and not just because I'm a pastor. I just, I just really like that stuff. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to look at that. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel is in the Old Testament. And so uh, just flip there. And if you're a first-time guest with us, or maybe you forgot your Bible and you just want a Bible, need a Bible, we have free Bibles for you. It's just a small gift for, uh, from us to you. You can find those out on the Ridge Central table that you passed on the, on the way in here uh, today. So feel free to get up and grab one of those anytime, uh, or it'll be on the screen, or grab your smartphone and, and uh, open up your favorite Bible app, and you can follow along there. Or, uh, you know, just fake it till you make it. It's okay. Nobody will know the difference. It's, it's, it's all good. You're like, where's Ezekiel? I don't even know. It's, it's okay. It's cool. Just, you know, just follow along as we get there. But uh, we'll get to Ezekiel chapter 37 here in just a second. I, I love Easter, and uh, one of the things that I love most about Easter is, is I love thinking about uh, the Easters that I had growing up. Uh, I grew up in, uh, in a small country Baptist Church, and if you guys have been around the Ridge for any length of time, you've kind of heard me talk about that, and I'm very thankful and grateful for uh, what I grew up in and the foundations that it, that it created in me, and, and uh, one of the things that I love most about Easter, it seemed like Easter for me kind of went the same way every single year when we had uh, one particular pastor, and a uh, great, great friend of mine who, who was a tremendous pastor, but, but it was really funny because on Easter Sunday, I don't know if you guys did this, if you have church background, uh, or maybe this is your kind of first experience with church background, but, but when I grew up, what we had is we had Easter fellowship after Easter service on Sunday, and so everybody brought like a covered dish, you know, and everybody, you know, put it down in the fellowship hall, it was the, you know, the, the musty, dirty old basement down in the, you know, bottom of the church, and we all went down there and ate after after church was over and, and hung out after Easter services. And, but Easter kind of went like this for us. We would get there to church, and, and this guy, and we called him the music minister, but he, you know, he really had no like, musical background at all. He just happened to be the first one there that day, I guess, and so he got to be the music guy or whatever. You know, and he would stand up there, and he'd grab this uh, red hymn book, because if you use the blue ones, you know, you were going to hell. You, you, only, you could only use the red ones, right? Broadman, hymnal. And so like, you, you had to have that. And so he'd stand up there and he'd hold that, that hymn book up and he'd say, all right, y'all, anybody want to get up here and sing with us? Y'all got get on up here. And so like three quarters of the church would get up and come up into the choir and there'd be like two people sitting out there, you know, the rest of us all be in the choir and we'd sing and make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? And so that'd be us and we, we would be up there and, and we would sing, man, and we would sing, we'd sing first, second, fourth verse, third verse, never got any love, only first, second, and fourth. And so we would do that. 
We would do that every Easter, and we'd sing a couple of songs, and our pastor would get up, and it, it seemed like this happened every single time. He said it was the Holy Spirit speaking. I say it was the smell of fried chicken downstairs, but he got up, and he would say, he would say this every time. He's like, man, that music is so good. We're just praising the Lord for he is risen, you know, and all that stuff, and the two people out in the crowd go, he is risen indeed, you know, and so like... It, <laughs> You know, and, and, and so we would be, we'd be there, and he'd say, then he'd say, let's sing another song. And so we'd sing, you know, we'd sing a couple more songs when the roll is called up yonder. I don't even know what that means, but we'd sing it. And, and, and we, we would sing these songs, and we would sing for like an hour, and I'd be like, man, I'm getting hungry. Like, we, we're going to have to do something. But see, he was getting hungry, too, because he'd come back up and say, man, the music was so good, I think we just need to go downstairs and eat. And I'd be like, yes, let's do that downstairs and, and so that's what Easter was like for me and so I just want to let you guys know it's going to be nothing like that today okay I'm, I'm preaching for about two hours so y'all just sit back I, I'm just kidding I'm not going to preach that long so this video that you guys saw it comes from Ezekiel chapter 37 and if you've made it there already great uh, if not like I said just fake it but uh Ezekiel chapter 37, let me give you a little, a little background, let me, let me show you and tell you why this has something and everything really to do with the resurrection. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel is the writer of this book and, and he is a, a prophet of God and so as a prophet of God, what he does, God speaks to him, gives him visions and then he relays it to the people of Israel and, and, and to the other people and so uh, the nation of Israel at this time is back in captivity yet again. They, it just it's it's one of these reoccurring things that keeps happening to the nation of Israel. They get into captivity. God would rescue them. You know, they would disobey God. God would put them back into captivity. They never really learned their lesson. And so they're back in captivity yet again. And their whole nation is in ruins. And, and what is so interesting about this is that the nation of Israel at this time, they, they, they were given this promise that to, to Abraham. Abraham was given this promise by God that this great nation would come forth, this nation of Israel. And it just seems like it just never really materializes. And so at this point, to the nation of Israel, their hopes, their dreams, everything that they had wanted in this nation seems to be dead. And hopeless. And so God gives Ezekiel this vision, and it's this vision that you just saw this vision of a valley full of vast, dry bones. But then God shows Ezekiel what is to come, what is to happen when Ezekiel is obedient to what God is speaking to him about. And so if you have your Bibles there, Ezekiel chapter 37, let me just read you a couple of verses here as we get started. Uh, Starting in verse 1, 37 verse 1, it says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man... Can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Now let's stop right there for just a second. Here's the thing about this. I don't know if you've ever been to the desert. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in the desert. I've spent a little bit of my life living in the desert. And if you love the color brown and you like really extreme heat, the desert is awesome. It's a great place. If you love those things. I don't love those things. And so the desert is not a great place for me. And, and so it, I, I used to laugh because people that live in the desert, like if they, if they actually live there, they've 
fooled themselves into believing it's actually okay to live in that kind of heat. And so what they will say to you is, especially if you're from the South, because here in the South, you know, if it's 80, it feels like it's 120, right, because of the humidity. But out there, if it's 80, it actually feels okay. But in, in the desert, I, I live near Phoenix, and, and near Phoenix, it would regularly get 120, 125 degrees. I, in fact, I remember one day, it was so hot, it was about 125 degrees that day. And it was so hot that they told people, do not drive because your tires will explode. It's that hot. The pavement was, was that hot. And so they were, they were cautioning people not to drive. And so I'd be like, gosh, it is so hot out here. And people all the time, they would say, yeah, it's hot, but you see, it's a, it's a dry heat. <laughs> I'd be like, really? Are you serious? Come on. Blowtorch is dry heat too, man. You got, you got cactuses out here going, hey, dog, it's hot. I mean, it's hot outside. 125 degrees is flipping hot. And so this is what Ezekiel is seeing when he looks at this valley of very dry bones. It's completely dry. And there is zero life. There's no life coming forth. It is dead. It is like a hopeless situation. And I love the question that God asked. God asked Ezekiel this question. He says, Ezekiel, what do you think? Can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's answers. Because you know, I, I think if this was modern day times, Ezekiel, the answer that Ezekiel would give would, would be like, are you kidding me? What do you think? And that's really what he says. He says, he's like, man, what I see is I see a bunch of dead, dry bones. And man, if, I, if I'm going to answer this question, God, if I'm going to answer it honestly, my answer is probably going to be no. So I'm just going to defer to you. God, what do you think? Oh, Lord, you know the answer. And that's what Ezekiel says, says to God. God says, Ezekiel, what do you think? Can, can these bones live? You see what is taking place here. You see the hopelessness of this situation. Do you, what do you think? Can these bones live? Oh, Lord, God, you know. You know. Now, I'm sure... Every person in this room has been in a hopeless situation before where you've been in a place and you've looked and you've seen a valley of dry bones. And that valley of dry bones represents yourself. Maybe it represents the, the state of, of life or the place in life or the situation or circumstance that maybe you either find yourself in right now. Maybe it's a place where you have just came out of or maybe it's a place that is coming. Uh, I've been there. I, I, I've been there. Um, when I was in high school, I had the worst academic motto ever. It was called D is for Diploma. Okay? Yeah. A- a- amen. Now, I only, really, I only really had that motto my last semester of my senior year. Now, if you're in high school or if you're in college or anything like that, just close your ears for a minute, okay? So, like, this is my, my last semester, my senior year in high school, it was like, man, I'm just going to, D is for diploma, man. Let's just get this thing done. Let's get out of here. You know, we're, it, it's all good. And it really only applied to Spanish 2, okay? Spanish 2, all right? Evil, straight from the pits of hell, Spanish 2. And so, um, Spanish 2 for me was, was, was that class. And, and at the end of the semester, about a couple of weeks before the end of the semester, I had a 60. F is for failure. And so I needed a 70. I did not have a 70. I had a, had a 60. And so I did what any graduating senior in high school would do. I tried to bribe the teacher. 
right? No, I'm just kidding. I really didn't do that. But, but I went to, I went to my, my Spanish teacher, and I, and I begged, and I pleaded. I was like, okay, what do I have to do to get this 60 to a 70? You just tell me, and I'll do it. And so she was like, well, I guess you can do some extra credit, and you can do this, and you can do that. And I was like, done. I'll, I'll do it. You know? So I went, and I did the extra credit. A couple of weeks later, I come back, and she informs me. Regretfully, she says, there's nothing else that I can do you have a 68, you're not going to pass this class. A week before graduation, and I, and I was just, I, I mean, I, I, was, I was destroyed. And I, was, I, I mean, it was, it was a hopeless situation. I mean, I, I, I talked, I, I did everything that I knew how to do. There was nothing else that I could do. And she said there was nothing else that she could do. That was just it. It was a 68. There was nothing else that could be done. There was no more tests to take. There was no more extra credit to be done. Nothing like that. And so that, that was a hopeless situation. Now, now listen. That situation for me, that's, that's very minimal and very, very, very minuscule and small compared to what some of you are in right now. Hopeless situations. We've, we've all been there. Maybe, maybe for you it's, it's a situation in life where the marriage that you had hoped for isn't working out the way that you wanted it to. Or maybe it's a family situation where, where the... the the, the family is not coming together or, or the family is falling apart. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a job situation. But, but you're in a place where when you look out across the valley of your situation, it seems like it's full of hopelessness and it seems like it's full of dry bones. And there's nothing else that, that you can do about it. And here's the thing. Jesus himself, he said this was going to happen. Like, like this, this should not be a surprise to, to any of us, because Jesus himself, he even said that this was going to happen. In John 16, he said, he said, listen, trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And, and he, he's saying this right before he goes to the cross. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And so what he's saying, he's saying, listen, the hopelessness, that feeling, the, the trouble, the heartache, the hard parts of life, it's coming. You're not going to avoid it. Believer, unbeliever, atheist, agnostic, Christian. Doesn't matter. It's coming. It's coming. And so maybe you find yourself in that place where it's not just coming, but it's here. And the weight of it is on you. And you're asking the question, God, can these bones live? Can, I, can a resurrection of, of, of life happen in my situation? And if you're honest, maybe your answer to that is, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the Lord knows. God knows. God knows. So let me, let me just say this. Let me, let me encourage you just for a second. Not only does he know but he's got you. He's got you. You see, in John 16, I, I, I think it's 33, he, he, he finishes that statement out. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And remember, he said this right before he went to the cross. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was facing. And yet he still said, for I have overcome the world. And then 
the Apostle Paul, a man who knows all about what it means to be in hopeless situations, a man that was rescued and redeemed and, and, and radically saved by Jesus, wrote in Colossians 1.17, he said, in him all things hold together. And he didn't just say in him some things hold together. He didn't just say in him most things hold together. He said that in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. And so when God is putting the, the stars in the heavens and he's putting the earth on its axis and he's putting the clouds in the sky and he takes us and he takes you and he, he forms us and he puts us together, he's not just holding those things together, he's holding you together. In those deep, dark places of the soul, when everything feels like it's falling apart, is when God is doing his best work holding us together. For some of you, sometimes that can be enough, but, but for others of us, it's still, still kind of hard to be convinced of that. Because right now, maybe it doesn't feel like he's holding you together. Right now, it doesn't feel like that he has overcome anything. Right now, you, all you see is that valley of vast, dry bones. And maybe it's a spiritual situation for you where, where everything feels spiritually dry. There's, there's no spiritual vitality there for you. There used to be, there's not anymore. You used to have this relationship with Christ, but, but now it's just dry. You wouldn't be the first one to feel that way. The disciples themselves, when Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, this was a feeling that, that they felt on, on that Friday. You see, because the disciples, they had, they had they'd been with Jesus for years. For three years, they'd walked with him. They, they saw him do miracles. They, they saw him take uh, crippled people and, and heal them. They, they saw him take blind people and give them sight. He, they saw him walk on water. They saw him call a dead man out of a tomb. They saw that. Normal people don't do those things. If they do, they're a freak, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. But these are the things that they saw. And then they heard him say, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But I'm coming back. They heard him say that over and over and over again. And it never really made sense to them. And even the night before he was arrested, he told them the same thing. And yet, when he was put on a cross, beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross, and when he breathed his last breath and spoke, it is finished. Listen to what the disciples are doing. Luke 23 It was now the sixth hour, which would have been about three or uh, nine o'clock. It was about the sixth hour, and there was uh, darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying. Certainly this man was innocent. 
And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So those that had followed Jesus most closely were the ones who were standing the farthest away at a distance watching, wondering. Is he who he said he was? Is he really going to do everything that, that he promised that he would do? Or, or is this really the end? Because right now it really feels like the end. Right now it really feels like this is it. Right now it really feels like that what we had been, what we gave our lives to is now dead. All of that is done. As a matter of fact, Peter, one of his closest disciples, not too long after that, told the others, he said, I, I, I'm, I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to go back to the family business. I'm going to go do what I was doing before Jesus came into my life and mess the whole thing up. I'm just going to go fishing again. Peter really didn't have a lot of hope in the fact that Sunday was coming. The, the hope that that, that there was a, a resurrection that was about to take place, a hope that Jesus actually was who he said he was and that he was actually going to do everything that he, that he promised he would do. And so they stood at a distance feeling so hopeless that they couldn't do a thing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you just felt so hopeless that you couldn't do a thing? There was nothing that you could do except just stand back and, and just wait and see how it plays out? My son Isaiah was born. He... Um, it was a very traumatic experience. He, my, my wife almost died giving birth, and uh, when he was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his, his neck, and, and as, soon, as, soon, as soon as he was born, they, they basically rushed him to a children's hospital, and, and so uh, within a matter of minutes, it was still kind of all, all a blur, um, I was able to, to get over, uh, once uh, Daenerys was taken care of, I was able to get over to, to children's hospital, and, I, and I'll never forget getting to children's hospital, and and uh, my son being sent there by an ambulance, and, and when I got there, that he was connected to all of these tubes and wires and, you know, basically being um, kept alive by a ventilator. And, and the doctors uh, really didn't give me a, a whole lot of hope. They were like, you know, the next couple of hours are very critical. Uh, if, if, if he makes it, um, and it was like, if he makes it, they were like, if he makes it, uh, it's going to be very difficult for him to live a normal life. He's going to have a lot of difficulties. Uh, you know, he may not be able to walk, you know, and all, all of these things. This is like minutes after I, I, I get to the hospital. And so I, I see my son there. And in that moment, I'm, I'm looking at the most hopeless situation that I could possibly ever myself be in. Because there was nothing that I could do. There, I, I, there, was, there was not a thing that I could do. And so the best thing that I could do was pray, and so I, and so I did, and I, and I prayed, and I, I just remember, I don't, even, I don't remember stopping praying and, and just watching, but being there in that, that hopeless feeling of not being able to, to do a thing. And so um, I'll, I'll never forget that, that feeling of, of hopelessness. But in that moment, in that time of, of feeling completely hopeless, God was doing his best work. In that moment where I was 
feeling the most hopeless, in that moment where I was feeling like there was not a Sunday coming, that there was not a, a resurrection, that there was not a, a new life, there was not a, not a new hope coming, that's when God was doing his best work. You see, Jesus, we, we celebrated Good Friday um, and so we celebrate that day, and, and as Jonathan mentioned to you guys, Friday night here at the Good, Good Friday service that we had here Friday night, which was absolutely amazing. Um, for those of you who are like, I thought you weren't here. I was hiding, okay? So I was, I was here, but I was hiding. And, and, and so uh, I was watching y'all. And, and anyway, so like he talked about, you know, do we celebrate? Do we mourn? What, what do we do in, in, with, with Good Friday? Like how do we, how do we navigate that? And, and in one sense, it is a time of mourning because our Savior Christ has died. But in the other sense, it is a time of celebration because without the crucifixion, there is no celebration. Because that is the payment for the debt of our sin. And without a crucifixion, without a sacrifice, there is no, no payment for that. But Friday is the day that, that Christ died, but his best work was yet to come. Because then Saturday happens. And on Saturday, it feels like God had lost complete control. Do you imagine the disciples, that feeling that they had on Saturday? After seeing what they had saw, after experiencing everything that they experienced. And so on Saturday, I'm sure for them, it felt like God had lost all control and that nothing could be done. And so it was a feeling of complete hopelessness. Maybe some of you are stuck there. You're stuck on Saturday where it doesn't feel like there is a Sunday coming. It doesn't feel like there's a resurrection coming. It doesn't feel like there is new life coming. It just feels like what you, all the hopes and dreams, all, everything, everything that you thought would be died on Friday, and now it's Saturday, and there's not a Sunday coming. The message of Easter is that God does his best work in hopeless situations. That's what Easter is about, is that God does his best work in hopeless situations because God, you understand, specializes in resurrections. That's, if you didn't know anything about God, understand that God specializes in res- resurrections. And maybe you didn't know that. The disciples, at the, on Saturday, the disciples, they didn't know that. Sunday is coming. But the good news is, is Sunday is already here. The resurrection has already taken place. The tomb is empty, and he is not in there. Jesus is alive, and because of that, we have a new hope. Sunday is here. It's not just coming. It is here already, now. Hope and resurrection is coming. You may feel limited but rest assured that God is limitless. And by the way, just in case you were wondering, I passed Spanish class. Jesus está vivo. Jesus is alive. How did I pass that Spanish class? I will never tell you. I'm just kidding. Because honestly, I don't know how I passed that Spanish class. <laughs> I just remember getting my final grade, and I had a 71, and I didn't do a thing for it. I, I remember asking my Spanish teacher, I was like, I thought I wasn't going to pass this Spanish class, and she just goes, 
I asked no questions. <laughs> God specializes in hopeless situations. If God can raise dry bones, if God can raise Jesus from the grave, he can breathe new hope and new life into whatever situation you're in right now or whatever situation is coming for you. Ezekiel chapter 37, you don't have to go there, i just summarize it for you. You kind of saw how it turns out, but God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, he says prophesy to the dry bones. And, 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 and so what he's saying, he says, preach to them. And so it's kind of like preaching in a Baptist church. No, I'm just kidding, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. I grew up Baptist, I can say that. And so, like he said, I'm joking, y'all getting too uptight. So, like, he said, listen, he says, prophesy, preach to the dry bones. He said, prophesy to them, tell them, tell the flesh to come back on them. And then he uses this word, he says, he says I will breathe new life into them. And that word breath, that, that word breath that he uses is the same breath, that, the word breath that he uses when he talks about breathing new life into Adam when Adam was created. And there's this Hebrew word uh, for that breath, it's called ruah. Say that. Say, Ruah. That's the breath of God. That's the living breath of God. He says, I will breathe my Ruah into these dry bones and the flesh and the muscle. And it all came back on him. And he says, and then he says, prophesy again. And then he breathes life into these dry bones, into these dead bodies. And the resurrection takes place. And it's the perfect picture. It's the perfect mirror of the resurrection that takes place when God breathes his ruah back in to Jesus. In Luke 24, we see that in the, the ladies, they, they run to the tomb. They go to the tomb to prepare Jesus for final burial. But when they get there, they don't see Jesus. and They, they, they see something totally unexpected. In, in verse 5, 24, 5, it says this, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the mid, men said to them, they see these angels, and I love what they say. They said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He ain't here. He is not here, but he is risen. He is not here, but he is risen. Resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. Listen, if you see that, if you experience that, everything is different. Nothing is the same. And it's that same spirit it's that same spirit, that same breath, that same ruah that God breathed into the dry bones, that God breathed into Jesus. It's that same spirit that breathes into your hopeless situation, that can give resurrection to whatever situation that you may be in right now. And that resurrection that takes place is a hope that you can anchor yourself to. Um. For those of you that, that feel like you're stuck in Saturday, let me just encourage you. Sunday is here. Sunday is here. Maybe you just need to speak that to yourself and say, Sunday is here. I got to get out of Saturday. I got to get on to Sunday. Sunday is here. Resurrection is now. Hope is now. New life is now. Resurrection is now. It's here now. And let, let, me, let me just be honest with you. It doesn't necessarily fix everything. 
It doesn't necessarily automatically bring a broken marriage back together, a broken relationship back together, a broken family back together, a broken job situation, a broken uh, whatever. Whatever is broken and dead and hopeless, it doesn't necessarily fix it and make it unicorns and rainbows all of a sudden. That's not the gospel. But what the gospel says is that now there is hope, that now you have something to anchor yourself to, and that anchor is in the cross, and that hope is in the resurrection. And that is everything. That is everything. I can't promise you, listen, I can't promise you that maybe you're here today, maybe, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. I can't promise you that if you give your life to Christ today, I can't promise you that your life is going to be just perfect from now on out. In fact, I'm just going to warn you and tell you right up front, it's not going to be. Jesus said, he told his disciples, trouble is coming. It's coming. But if you anchor to the cross, if you anchor to me, if you put your hope in the resurrection, if you put all your cards into that, if you'll jump in with both feet into that, listen, we'll get to the other side. We'll get to the other side. You don't have to live in Saturday. You can celebrate in Sunday. Let's stand to our feet. Maybe you're a believer here today and, and, and Sunday, Easter Sunday, is a time of celebration for you. And it, and it should be. It should be a time of, of celebration for you. But maybe, maybe there's a small part of you that you feel like the disciples. You feel like the disciples and, and, and you kind of feel like you're, you're in a place where, man, you, you, you love Jesus. You know about the resurrection. You've given your life to him. You've repented of sin you, and you're doing those things. But maybe you just feel like you're, you're facing a hopeless situation right now. Can I just encourage you this morning to renew your hope? To renew your hope to simply move out of Saturday and, and, and celebrate the resurrection of Sunday. The resurrection of hope. The resurrection of new life. And I just encourage you to do that today. To As we close in these last few moments, we're going to sing a couple more songs and, and have a time of celebration as we as we leave here, but I also want you to have just a time of of repentance and prayer. To think about moving from Saturday to Sunday. Maybe you're right now in a hopeless situation. And whatever that, that situation is, maybe you're there, you're in the middle of it right now. Hebrews 6 says that the cross is an anchor for our soul. And so if you find yourself in a, in a hopeless situation right now, today, right now, in this moment, now is a great time to anchor yourself to the cross and what the cross is. Not only is the cross about the payment for the debt of sin that we have and the forgiveness of sin that we have, but the cross is also about hope. And it's an anchor for our soul, meaning that we can anchor ourselves to that. There are others of you here today and your hopeless situation is, is more like a life and death situation because the Bible is very clear what it, what it says to us about being spiritually hopeless. That being apart from a relationship with Christ, the Bible tells us very clearly that, that we are aliens, that, that we are foreign to God. Until we come to the cross, repent of sin, 
and believe. So maybe for you today, your step is to simply cry out to God to repent of sin. You know what repentance is? That's just a big hairy church word. It just means that we're going to turn from sin and we're going to run to the cross. We're going to turn from sin. We're going to turn from our spiritual hopelessness and we're going to run to the cross that is hope. That's what it means to repent. So maybe this morning that's what you need to do. I'm not going to ask you to say a prayer, repeat a prayer after me. We're not going to do that. But what I do want you to do is in your, I just want you to cry out to God and say, God, just be honest with him. The Bible is clear that it says that whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And listen, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't, it doesn't, listen, I don't, it doesn't matter what you did last night or this morning. When we repent of sin, God is just and able to forgive. And he does every single time. And so if that's you, you need to take the opportunity. You're here. You drove all the way out here. You got a little wet on the way over here. You're here. You might as well do work, right? Take the time to do what you know God is speaking to you about this morning. And then let's come together and let's celebrate the hope of the resurrection that God gives us on this day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. God, we thank you for your resurrection, your hope of new life, God, your hope of new things, of dead things coming to life, God. God, we just thank you, Lord, that today we get to celebrate that. We thank you for the new life, for the resurrections that are taking place in this room right now, even as I speak, God. God, as people are calling out to you, God, as people are speaking to you, God, as as people are repenting of sin right now, God, that you do your best work right now. And we will honor you and we will praise you for all that you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Breathe on.